everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not writing about biking or running or being outside, I am hopefully outside doing one of those things. And I'm Peter Glassford. I am an endurance coach, a registered kinesiologist, and very excited. We have a new set of microphones, so hopefully everyone can go over to the iTunes rankings and give us five stars for our excellent sound quality. Um, perhaps you'd like to reverse a previous star rating. I'm not calling <laughs> anyone out, but that's fine. And you are on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about different sports and movements and how they might combine to make a fuller, healthier, more active life. I think these new microphones have gone to your head. Well, you know, holding a microphone it does that to a person. Mm, does feel much more pro. I'm enjoying it. Anyway, we are out in California, West Coast. Very exciting. It's sunny. It's warm. Um, and we are currently on the Cycling Canada Endurance Mountain Bike Project. So we have a bunch of really cool young athletes that we're riding with and training with. And yeah, it's been a pretty good few days so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting to be back in what I consider, I guess, sort of my second home or third home. I don't know how many homes we have, but um, definitely I spent a lot of time down here sort of just north of Los Angeles and uh, yeah, feeling very lucky to be here again. Yeah, it's been very fun for me. I've not spent a ton of time on the bike in the last year. I've been more focusing on running. So being back on the bike is actually really reminding me how much I enjoy riding, uh, particularly when the weather happens to be, you know, warm and nice and yeah, it's been really fun. I've had to uh, maybe review some of the concepts in my uh, older, actually two of my books have been thinking a lot about fuel your ride because it turns out when you're on a camp with athletes, you can't be the one that bonks. So it's a really good, pra it's really pushing me to make sure I'm eating enough on the bike and drinking enough. Um, and then of course my other book, Saddle Sore, Ride Comfortable, Ride Happy. Uh, has definitely been coming into play as you know I'm talking to people about proper you know care and keeping and bike fit and chamois and also remembering that stuff on my own so yeah it's been a good good kind of look back at everything that I've written about cycling yeah yeah well you're doing okay your consummate athlete lifestyle has I guess allowed you to be back here on the bike and, and doing okay keeping up get up a few hills yeah so what else we went through uh i guess the holidays we're almost through that that's right we'll yeah maybe get this one out ahead of new year's but uh yeah, yeah i think it'll be out on new year's eve so for those of you who are still kind of frantically starting to think about resolutions and stuff we're gonna kind of get into that a little bit i think we've talked a lot about goal setting and end of season and thinking about the 2019 season a fair bit but I love a good resolution chat and I mean I think you know tis the season it's those of us who've had you know kind of a hectic family filled food filled holiday can sometimes use that New Year's resolution energy to kind of start channeling a bit of a healthier lifestyle even if it only lasts for you know a few weeks going going serious at it and it kind of tapers off that's probably not a terrible thing. Yeah, and we definitely, did we not do an episode or so? We, we definitely did like a seasonal review, sort of what comes next type episode. Yep. There are a few back uh, that you may want to check out. 
yeah, the how to do an end of season assessment. So kind of assuming that you've already thought about how the 2018 season went for you and where you're at and sort of what you're looking towards in 2019. I think that's where the resolution stuff kind of comes in. Yeah. Because I don't think of resolutions as like setting a calendar for the year necessarily or like setting a training schedule. I think they're much kind of broader in scope. I suppose. I mean, I, I'm myself not a, a huge fan of them in general. You always ask me what I'm doing for I know, it. And, and I, I get so grumpy. <laughs> rarely have something on there. Um, but I think for a lot of us, it's good to sort of use that that new year's that changing it's fairly arbitrary right it's really just another day tomorrow you'll wake up it's another day uh, hopefully you'll wake up but jeez <laughs> just took a uh, turn well, for I, the and I, I mean dark. I, I did but i think that's at the heart of the whole thing right like ultimately we're all very lucky to be here um you know and there's certainly better days and worse days and worse months and better months um but i you know you've i've seen on even the social medias and i mean you've had your knee stuff and last last year i had my my elbow was going crazy and couldn't hold myself up on my bike and yeah this time last year we were in the er yeah and so i think it's i think that experience last year especially helped me just you know come back to terms to like what's i guess important right like all this movement stuff is good cycling is obviously a big part of my life um but sort of just taking a pause before you set any crazy resolutions and just like you know i'm sure there's something good going on it's actually funny. I was talking with Ellen Noble, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago, uh, just today about how we both kind of are bemoaning the fact that uh, we're, we're having a hard time figuring out how to put together like a massive like makeover montage for our lives, like a season of dramatic change and growth, because we're actually both really happy with our current trajectory. Like we're trending in directions that we want to be trending. So there aren't really any dramatic, huge shifts that either of us really want to make, even though, you know, around this time of year, it's really tempting to kind of come out with these, you know, really big resolutions and sweeping changes. Well, and I think the ultimate thing is that, I mean, A, if everyone follows both of your Instagrams, there's probably a lot of people that you know, appreciate that and think life is going well for both of you. But a, both of you have things you want to change about yourselves or, you know, you're unhappy with. So we, we need to be careful in this social media age that we don't assume everything is filtered in a lovely rose colored uh, no, we're oak, not. Oakley prism lens. Definitely not saying everything is like amazing. And no, life but is then on the perfectly. flip side, both your lives are going pretty well. And I think sometimes I, I use that sort of strategy of daily goal setting with clients where it's you know we start each day at zero and your only mission is to keep adding you don't have to get to a hundred but you just don't really want a zero so like drink some water when you wake up you're at like five percent or something right however you want to allot that but i think thinking about like both of you if you're at 75 percent happiness how do we make it 76 like slightly better 2019 right marginal gains i'm not saying that but uh i don't don't do drugs but i i do think that it's worth reflecting on just like how you can be just slightly better right like what is the one thing that can slight be slightly better for tomorrow yeah, and, and if I, tomorrow's the new year, then for the new year. Yeah, and I think that kind of ticks like the next box because I was going to talk about, you know, one of the questions of like how can you avoid that mid-January slump, right? You kind of get two weeks off of most New Year's resolutions if we're being totally honest. You can usually do some kind of, you know, 
huge dietary shift or big training shift or whatever for a couple weeks before you start realizing that doing this every day is very difficult and then you kind of slide back into what you were doing before. Um, so I think this kind of touches on how to avoid doing that is by not deciding that you need to make a huge drastic change. I actually just wrote about that for Outside Magazine. Um, we were doing uh, five diet resolutions you shouldn't make in the new year and I kind of did all the cliche ones. You know, I'm going to go raw, paleo, vegan, whatever off of a standard American diet or I'm going to lose five pounds when you don't actually even know what you weigh right now. Stuff like that. Yeah, and I guess, the again, the question would be, you know, at the end of next year, would you be happy if you were even, say, five pounds lighter? Say you have some weight to lose. Would you be happy with five pounds lighter? And can you gradually make a change that would get you there? Right? So maybe you're into desserts. Maybe you decide you're going to have a behavior swap. You're going to brush your teeth and go for a walk after dinner. Um, you know, and maybe that helps supplant some, you know, replace some of that time for dessert you know or insert any other thing but some small behavior change that then hopefully over the course of a month leads to what is that half a pound or less right that's not even it's not even half a pound Uh, half a pound plus you know it's the holidays so gotta hashtag it's the holidays yeah plus one minus one so thinking about just sort of the small small change right like what is one thing ah you know i think one year i decided peanut butter was just too easy for me to eat so I didn't no more peanut butter um, and I'm pretty good at cutting stuff out. But I mean, I think everyone could think of like one thing that like they probably don't need to eat or do or, you know, the third hour of Netflix or, you know, whatever your vices, we all have them. Right. Um, and trying to just gradually phase that out. Yeah, exactly. especially if you have a history of like, you know, we're, we're full on changing everything about us on one day on a dime. You know, if that hasn't worked in the past, then, you know, I think it's worth trying something very small. The Mm -hmm. glass of water in the morning. Yeah. It's your best life is not necessarily the most like Instagrammable hashtag new year, new you. Mm -hmm. And I think the behavior is a big part of it, right? Like if if we take that glass of water example, I think everyone, you know, agrees in general water is good for you. I don't think there's a diet that excludes water yet. Um, Yet. But, you know, is there a way that we can, you know, maybe that we have a Brita filter. I don't know why I said Brita so odd, but maybe there, I don't know. Um, But it's just always on the counter, right? We don't chill it. It's always at room temperature, but it's always on the counter. And so we are, (laughs) we drain it pretty fast usually, right? So it's always there sort of as a reminder. And it's, is it annoying sometimes and unsightly sometimes? Sure. But it's sort of a reminder, right? Or, you know, maybe some people swear by their big, like, Nalgene thermos, whatever, you know, and just having that with them works too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all of that to say, if you are making a resolution, just, you know, pondering ways that you can actually keep it and make it a sustainable change. And like the smallest thing. Yeah. What's smallest, the smallest? 100% thing you could do. If I bet you what, like this time next year. Yeah. Also, hit us up on Instagram or Twitter and let us know if you do have a resolution that you're going yeah, to Yeah, make it make it social. Make it a, you know, then we'll hold you accountable. We'll, we'll do like a Christmas list. We'll check it twice this time next year. Ooh, I like it. All right. Yeah, Instagram or tweet us with your, your resolution. And 
come December of next year, we will try to remember to uh, to bug you about we'll, it. We'll make a list. We'll put that on December 2019. All right, perfect. Okay. Next question. We figured since we're at this training camp, and I know a lot of people are about to get into their base season, um, we would talk about sort of some of the components to to a training camp. So I think the first thing I wanted to I guess ask you because I think this gets miscommunicated a lot of the time is what are base miles? What are we talking about when we say it's base season? I mean, I think it gets complicated sometimes, but in the traditional sense, base is typically, you know, you sort of in the, the standard, you might have a base phase one, base phase two, base phase three. Uh, and that can evolve and comprise of different things. But You're already getting complicated. What is base at its most basic? But in general, the base phase is not high intensity. We know that. Um, it could be very general. Base one is usually very general. So this is traditionally cyclists might be cross-country skiing and hiking and you're just sort of accumulating time. So usually the volume is increasing in a traditional base phase okay. and the intensity is low. What is the logic for doing a base phase? Because I mean, it's one of those things that we toss around very casually as people who've trained for a long time. But man, I remember when I first started training with the Rutgers guys, and I probably trained terribly because, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we're doing base. And that meant two hundred mile rides during the week. And I was a new cyclist. Right. So that was not base for me. But, you know, to them it was. So I always thought base was just murdering yourself with mileage. Yeah, I think for a new cyclist, I guess, what was the question? I want us to keep it short. That's our goal. This is our New Year's resolution. We're going to be really bad keep, at this. Keep- what are base miles? So base miles are generally endurance miles. You could consider them as, and in the base phase would be that you're doing a block of endurance focused riding. So you're trying to increase your endurance, your ability to ride all day, so to speak, to ride for an extended period, which for a beginner, I think 90 minutes is a a pretty critical, if I may, uh, duration. So for a beginner rider, it might be just a, a set of weeks, a month where you're doing, you know, a couple 60 to 90, 60 to 120 minute rides and you're just trying to increase your endurance your ability to ride for an extended period of time and now talk a little bit about where intensity comes into this or why intensity doesn't come into this like what is the point of doing a base phase again traditionally uh, if we look at textbooks then it's to sort of build the base of of your pyramid of fitness if you will or the base of your your uh, performance, I guess, right? So the idea was that you would build this huge aerobic base and then that would determine the height of your so-called pyramid of performance. Uh, I may have just invented that term though. Um, but Steven Seiler was on and he had a different pyramid that which somewhat complicates it, but the endurance like needs, if we go back to that episode, it's one of our most popular for sure. And I think is a great w- sort of primer for what is training and polarized training. Um, but basically you would lay this endurance base. If you think about the wide base of that pyramid and then how high your peak is, so to speak. So your, your best performance, your July summer group ride Fondo national championships, um, that would be in theory, you would be fitter. Um, I think the other thing to think about is work capacity is how in my own philosophy, that's how I think about base phase is we're trying to increase the amount of work you can do in a day. If you'd like to even, in in common speak, it sometimes gets confusing, but the amount of calories you can expend in a day. Um, And to me, that is work capacity. 
So to me, I want an athlete who has a very high work capacity and then the next phases in your training. So as we get into maybe spring or closer to your event, the specific preparatory period, uh, then we might rather than being consummate athletes, if we were trying to get someone to like a world championships, national championships, they would become a very specific type of athlete with a very specific type of work capacity. So rather than doing six hour endurance rides, our build phases or our sp specific phases close to your race, maybe the two months ahead of your race, um, you're becoming much narrower in your focus, more intense generally. Again, different if you're an Ironman or something, but that's sort of the general idea. Okay, great. And then the other kind of thing with these base miles is we're typically talking about like endurance miles, but I think this is where people get really confused because some people like me will maybe consider endurance to be going probably a little harder than what endurance should be. And then there's a lot of people who will consider endurance basically like spinning almost junk miles. So how do we, how do we know what the endurance pace is? I think it depends too, right? Like you're going to hit a, 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 a situation where either someone is a beginner and just any riding they do is basically going to make them fitter. But if you're starting at zero or low, you know, you only used to ride on the weekend. If you can increase your frequency, that will have the effect of increasing your volume. But I, I believe personally that the frequency is more important. So going from one ride a week to three rides a week is going to be huge for you. Yes, the volume increases, but also the frequency increases. I, I believe the same thing even for a very advanced athlete. Um, and that's why I do a lot of double days. You see that in very, a lot of um, elite athletes double days. It, it didn't catch on as much in cycling for some reason because we all like to ride for so long. Um, and maybe there's a bit of just the, the amount of coasting and efficiency and stuff. But uh, in running, you see it rowing. It's very, very big on doubles and triples. Skiing also. Um, so all that to say, the base phase. I'm trying to get back to your original question. What is endurance pace? Endurance pace. Um, so that's just your all day pace. So the talk test is the classic thing. I, I define it by heart rate with 65 to 75% of max heart rate. Um, and that's a fairly narrow range. Uh, it would be hard. A lot of beginners would find that hard to ride that slowly or at that low of a heart rate. And, and sometimes we would adjust that. Um, just for people who don't know, what is the talk test? The talk test is we should be able to have this conversation, basically. Um, you know, you should be able to speak in maybe a sentence at least. Maybe you have to, you know, pause a little bit more than we are now. Um, but it, it's sort of separated by your tempo and your threshold, your sort of moderate intensities, which are where you start having that deepening of breaths, right? And that relates to our ventilatory threshold or, or what you might think of as like an anaerobic threshold. It's sort of all that middle intensity is sort of defined around there. Um, so you just want to sort of check in and like a good signs of that is like, are you able to finish the ride? If you have wattage, is the wattage fading over the course of the ride? There's, there's a variety of ways you can sort of check that. Um, for the beginner rider, again, I'm more concerned about the frequency of the riding. And I think like the, the intensity is almost secondary at that point. But once you become a, a novice or an intermediate, then that's, I think, where you have to pay more attention because we're going to start looking at both the volume and the intensity. And the dilemma for someone like you is that if you ride too hard in your endurance, the bulk of your training, 
then the intensity you're just tired for so it becomes moderate as well so that's your classic like no man's land they call it or that middle ground intensity and to me that is, is actually the junk miles i'm really that concerned about people like noodling around and not working hard enough like that that becomes apparent but i i, I you rarely see that like most people want to get a workout right mm-hmm. okay and then I want to talk about how this applies to running because I think running is really hard to keep in that endurance zone when you're new. So where would you fall if you're coaching someone who's, you know, new-ish to running and you're trying to get them through a base phase? Do you do run walks? Do you just call endurance is just, you know, the three miles that they can comfortably run before they start getting just kind of exhausted? Well... I think I I do like run walks. Um, You may not necessarily solve that immediately with that. Um, I do like math training. So Phil Maffetone's methods of of training, which is somewhat complicating it, but essentially running at an endurance pace and the same thing happens. There's a limit on your heart rate. And sometimes for some people that means walking. Why not sprinkle some walking in because you could probably do more walking than you could running, right? Like you could probably walk to work or walk errands or walk with your family, walk with your dog, monitor on and you can count it as training. Um, but I would start someone like that and then also include a couple run walks. Also included just like if, if they're conditioned for running and we don't have like a soft tissue concern where that's also part of the conditioning and the efficiency, uh, then they might even include one run or maybe more depending on the person where they do get to just go run, right? And, and I wouldn't maybe stress as much about the heart rate on those ones, but then have a couple that sort of abide by the zones. Because again, that's a sign that your aerobic system is not fully developed. And if we can develop that, why not do that? Because yeah. your risk is like zero if you're walking, right? Yeah, for Whereas sure. Whereas running is one of the riskiest things you could do. Yeah, and I mean, I think I'll maybe add walking hills can be super good if like running kind of exhausts you but you can hike i think that's sort of an excellent way to add volume without necessarily stressing yourself too much i know Mm -hmm. that's what i do Mm -hmm. yep yeah and even just getting off road right i mean that gets into you know just even people the road the pavement is convenient but you can really decrease risk and increase enjoyment by getting even on the grass if not onto something else right yeah but if someone can't run you know that may not apply to because it makes it harder but Mm -hmm. okay and then because we're in base season a lot of athletes are kind of dealing with this kind of want to talk about testing a little bit so the two kind of i'd say most standard we'll say and i mean different coaches have different ones are generally though the 20 minute and the five minute power test on the bike some coaches go with two minutes some coaches go 30 minutes 60 minutes whatever but usually there's a shorter effort and then a longer effort and you know you're doing those pretty regularly you want to do one at the start of base season you want to do one towards the end you know I wanted to talk about first of all why we do testing and it's most like general sense but then also you know what are some of the pitfalls you see around testing because I know for some people like me I would like that stresses me out so much yeah, I think the main thing, the reason I do testing is because of the last thing you said. Because if that stresses you out, then I'm sure races probably stress you out. And for you, it definitely is true. You are a bit of a wreck usually when you start, and then you're usually very happy when you finish. So then you remember that, and you've sort of learned to cope through it. 
I'm happy two seconds into the race. It's really the moments before the gun goes off. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's it's just you're practicing showing up and doing the work you can do on the day. Um, I've had decent success this year, especially, I think, trying to get people, you know, just d- start into it and it's nine out of 10. It's not your best one. It's a nine out of 10. So you have like that little scapegoat. And then usually once people get into it, they're like, eh, you know what? I can hit this pretty hard. Oh, wow. I'm close to a PB. You know, if I just pedal really hard for five minutes, this is my best 20 minute ever. Right. And it's just, you take the nerves off of the, and the expectations off of the beginning. Um, the reason you test is because you want to know if you got fitter or not, because that then relates to whether you're nervous on the start line. So I always find it odd that people don't want to test because to me, that's like an indicator that I'm not going to suck on race day. Right. Um, or if I have a coach that like something is improving, right? Like the test doesn't always go up. That's certainly part of it. And if we're doing base phase, you wouldn't necessarily expect the five and the 20 to increase, but it certainly could. Several of the athletes here have been just doing base phase, so to speak, mostly endurance training and skiing and stuff. And they actually had a great five minute and that's youth, I think, but also just being young endurance athletes, right? Endurance is pretty magical when you're starting out. Like we are talking about in the run walk example, right? Like it's pretty magical. You just need to ride your bike or walk or whatever and you get better. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's why we test is to take care of the nerves on the front end from practicing the the, te- the, the test or the race. Um, and then also so that we're not nervous because we know that our training was working or wasn't working and then we could correct things. Maybe you're just tired or maybe you're, again, have a nerve nervous problem that we need to address. You know, race nerves are obviously a limiter um, if we're too nervous. Um, and then also is the training working? So did that test that you believe in, did it in- improve? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest pitfalls that we've both seen is people stopping midway through, especially midway through that longer effort, just being like, oh, it's just not happening today. Um, I mean, there's going to be races where stuff isn't going to be happening for you that day. Um, But does that mean you should just like abandon your bike and get a ride home from, you know, the, the side of the road or you know, walk off the course. No, you should probably just finish the race. Even if you're getting past left and right, you got to get back to the start finish area. Right. So I think being able to work your way through a 20 minute, even when it's not going according to plan or according to what you were hoping for. I think so. Cause they're good training, right? Like I always say training is testing is racing. They're all basically the same. Like if you do a race in theory, you, you may get, it's a ride. It's essentially a ride. It's also a test because you're getting maybe some power data and then also obviously the result. Right. Um, so I think it's important that we're, we're testing just so that we have that, that feedback for sure. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's testing. Next question. Well, did you want to just talk a bit about the durations? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, the common is sort of the five and the 20 and the, the thought with that a little bit is that it's sort of a two you can maybe do together. The five is maybe an indicator of sort of your top end or VO2 or MAP, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then the threshold, the 20 minute is, it's going to be lower than if you just did a 20 minute on its own. Um, but it's sort of maybe an indicator of that threshold, that quote unquote moderate intensity. It's obviously a harder effort. Um, but it's, it gives us sort of two numbers that maybe then you could base some training decisions off of. If the five is really, really good and you don't finish the 20, that's a good indicator. 
that the your your maybe need more endurance or muscular endurance training. Um, it could be a fueling thing as well. Um, but if the five, which is the more common thing, the five, the VO2, the top end test is very close to your 20, then it's likely that like Molly, you are someone who A, isn't motivated to do intensity. B, maybe lacks coordination in the sport to stand up and to like sprint and go hard and pedal really hard and shift appropriately. Huge Um, slams on Molly out of nowhere. Could be fatigue, um, that that short test isn't as good. And uh, you also just may need to work on that, that five minute, that top end fitness, right? Yeah, for sure. So that's why we test then. And, and there's different variations on that. I tend to do a three, a 20, and then also a, a separate day we'll do a math test, which is a 30-minute sub-maximal test, um, just so that I do get sort of a bit of a, a picture of how that top-end attack sort of hill pace goes versus the threshold versus like the all-day like steady endurance pace. Um, but that it depends on the person and their sport, right? So if you hate 20-minute tests and it doesn't really relate to your sport, then, you know, maybe a mountain bike time trial or just a five minute or just a three minute, or it doesn't really matter, right? Like essentially all you're doing is drawing a a line between two dots. The line is curved, but you know, the more dots you have, especially in this day and age with all the analysis software, um, a lot of coaches can sort of really estimate that threshold without ever doing those tests. So if you're just, for some reason you refuse to do tests, then, you can do workouts and those become the tests. So you can go from there. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before on the show, but maybe not, um, you know, the length of your test or the duration, you can be, you know, a few minutes on or off. If you happen to have a hill that only takes you 17 minutes to get up, that can kind of be your 20 minute. Or, you know, if you have a hill that takes six minutes to get up, that can be your five. Like, it doesn't have to be exactly five or exactly 20. It's kind of almost better to fit it to the terrain that's around you. I think so. I think for the sake of zones or, or comparison, if that plays into your life, um, you may want to pick on one side or the other. But uh, yeah, for sure. If you have a local hill, like, and that's how any of my clients who don't have power meters and, and, and obviously aren't you know necessarily world championship athletes, um, I would definitely just like, what's your local hill that doesn't change very much. There's not a lot of influence from like rain or snow or surfaces changing. So pavement is generally good. Uh, and if it's pretty sheltered from the wind, which most hills are, um, you know, that's going to be pretty consistent day to day. So if you go up that hill faster then at least, you know, on that, in that situation, you're getting fitter. Right. And so some clients will do that. Sometimes they have like a workout they've just done their whole life, like five times up the local climb and that's their test um you know sometimes it's like a tt even like an out and back i always say ride to your friend's house and then ride home uh, or ride to the next town and then ride home um, the out and back just for the sake of wind and stuff so there's definitely a lot of ways to do that but again it sort of just gives you that bit of a motivator to try and get fitter and then beat yourself right and get to your friend's house faster that's well exactly and that's that's training right is is trying to get fitter at a a certain task yeah absolutely 
end. For the record, it is also okay to just be training, not necessarily for any one specific race or goal or anything. I think so. I think you would still, if you're training, I think you would have some sort of indicator, though, of, of mm-hmm. what you're doing, right? And that might just be a longer ride. That might be, again, just feeling a certain way on a ride. Um, but I, I think if you're defining it as training versus exercise, then there, there's some sort of thing in the distance that you're working towards, right? And that's, I think, makes it worthwhile. Yeah, it was sure. interesting. A related question we had um, was, uh, you know, at what point can can you not get any fitter because of age? And I had this from a couple different people. Some were in their thirties, some in forties. You can get very fit in your thirties. Well, and I think it gets back to this consummate athlete idea. Um, and even if you're not, you know, super into, you're going to go rock climbing and get better and learn rock climbing. Uh, even in cycling, there's so much thing, like so many different things. Like with the athletes this week, we did a five and a 20, but there was over an hour between the two, right? So it's a completely different test in a lot of ways. That 20 is now affected by the five, but also the fact that it's like in hour two. Like I think it started at like 2.15 into the ride. So it's a slightly different 20, right? So how good are you at that? Oh, I've never done that. Okay, well, that's going to be a personal best today. Um, you know, and then there's obviously disciplines. There's obviously, um, you know, just different skills you can learn. Um, and I think a lot of us are, we're never pro tour, right? We were never the best, you know, we didn't necessarily reach our physiological peaks, right? So there's, and for some of us, there may indeed be more fitness depending on how you define it, right? I've definitely had clients in 40s and 50s get their best 20 minute power if that's going to be our gold standard and i mean i'll say you have clients in their 60s that are in better shape than they've ever been in their entire lives because they've now you know maybe they were cyclists for a lot of it but now they're adding you know the proper strength training and stuff like that so well and that's it right that's it's how we set the the rules and that's even with the young athletes here that's what we're trying to work a lot on is you know they're mountain bike racers but what are the rules that you're living by right like how many you know, we can't win every single thing. You can't win the endurance ride and the 20 minute and the five minute on the road. And then also expect that you're going to win the mountain bike race. That's seven months from now. Right. Like, so sometimes I think, in, especially in this day and age, I don't want to go on my usual harp on social media and phones. Um, oh, I thought you were going to go on one on Zwift or Zwift. Um, you know, if we're racing and that's, I guess the other thing about base period, right? We're sort of linking all these questions together is that the base period generally doesn't have racing. And then that's again, where people are getting into trouble, I think with motivation and burnout and they get to June and they can't do anything is, you know, we're missing that outdoors time. That's just low key general preparation, getting fitter as a person, right? Um, a fitter human, I guess is what we often say. Yeah, I like that. And on the topic of becoming a fitter human, um, one question that I think we've both gotten a few times lately in the last like month and a half is, okay, I, I'm ready to start strength training. I want to start strength training. Okay, here's like the bench press bench that I'm going to get. Here is the, you know, huge set of free weights and, you know, the huge range of kettlebells and I'm going to get this, you know... D- trap bar for deadlifts and all this stuff or, or join an expensive gym or something yeah exactly so I guess that relates back to the resolution yeah so bare bones what are your favorite couple of weights that someone can pick up that they can then do a really good strength training routine with just you know under 50 dollars worth of equipment well i think 
if we think back to the resolutions question and we're just taking a little step, so rather than joining an expensive gym and that's going to commit us, we're definitely going to go and drive that 30 minutes to the gym to do a one hour workout. And then it takes two hours plus you're showering. I do think that like I'll, I'll say our 10 minute core thing in the morning or after work or after you get out, done your other workout, your bike run, whatever you do. Um, I do think that that's a good place to start. And I don't think it needs anything. Like I would say, don't buy equipment until you've done that for what is it? 21 days you need for your habit. Do that 21 days in a row. And then you can buy a set of dumbbells would be where I would start. Um, Cause that'll open up things like rowing. Um, so like pulling a lifting a dumbbell up using your arms basically okay i want to talk about weights of the dumbbells though and i realize that weight is not going to be the same it depends on the person it would be somewhere between a 10 and a 20 would be probably if you're sort of endurance never done strength training um if you're a bigger person then 20 is probably a good place to start but but none of those five pounders yeah i would err on the side of more um because most of the things you're going to do them again like a bent over row um, if you think about it, like putting your hand on a coffee table and then using the other hand to sort of pull a weight to your armpit, um, that would be a bent over row. Um, but then you can also press those dumbbells over your head. You can, there's just a lot of stuff. And I think you're better to start, okay, I can do six reps of these with a slightly heavier weight and, you know, just do more sets or just slowly over the course of days, build up those reps and go from six to 15, um, and then eventually those smaller weights. So even if you did get two tens, a lot of these things are often better done one armed or one limbed, one leg. Uh, so your lunges, your Romanian deadlift, your one leg deadlift. Uh, so you can always combine those, right? You can put them in a backpack or hold them together. Like two tens really aren't that big. So you can sort of use like a crazy wide grip with your thumb and your all your fingers and sort of try and hold two dumbbells. Um, or tie them together. I've seen lots of different solutions, right? So there's a lot of stuff you can do at home. And it sounds, I guess, sort of like lame. It's not as exciting as having those new things. But I think for a lot of people, it's better to start with the, you know, super cheap garage sale weights and just start there. And I think you can make, similar to the person walking for their running training, I think you can enjoy those periods where like just doing 10 minutes of core every morning and you'll notice, you know, a little bit more definition in your arms or you know you oh wow i can now do 30 or 20 even uh, i don't want to get cocky i did i'm about 25 push-ups pretty comfortably now and that's been creeping up now probably three four years of that sort of morning core right and now some mornings i can throw 30 some mornings is more like a suffer fest to get to 20 um and, and that's almost a nice fun gauge of fatigue too yeah, and we'll throw the links to the couple of different routines we've come up with. Yeah, we'll throw looking, them in the show notes. For the sake of exercise ideas, yeah. Because uh, I, I think, I always say, like, it can be yoga. if you Anything you know, whatever you know, like, you can use that, right? Like, incorporate it. And if it, probably you have a physiotherapist has told you to do some, um, what are those things called? The crabs? Clamshells? Clamshells. Oh, and the crab walk is a gra- good one, too. Oh, actually. I hate the crab walk. Um but what else? Some band sideways walking or like maybe you have a shoulder because you're in, an adult and your shoulder has gone bum from falling on it or collarbone. And you're supposed to do external rotation with a band. So you get a bike tube and you use that bike tube for some resistance. Um, I would I would be creative at home. I like that. You know, there's chairs. You can use the chairs to make your push-ups easier. You can use it to make it harder. Yeah. 
So kind of along those lines, though. So now we first talk about base season as being this kind of easier, like, you know, putting in the lower intensity miles. Now, for most people, strength training is going to be a higher intensity. How does strength training fit into base? Like, what are you telling clients to do? Well, we, we didn't necessarily touch on the base, but I think for, unless you, again, you're starting out from zero, that low intensity approach only gets you so far. Your base is only, your, your traditional base is only so long because you only have so many hours in your week, right? So you're, most people tap out at around eight hours, if that. Um, you know, if you're working nine to five and you have kids, that's just a reality. And that's the majority of the people I work with. So there's a few things you have long weekends and holidays and, you know, different times of the year when you can, you know, go away for a week and, and do a training camp or do an endurance block. The endurance block can just be at home, right? You can do three rides Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or even two rides on a Saturday. Um, and, and so for most people, there's going to be intensity in the base phase, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, because you have to keep increasing the training load, right? Um, so that's almost an aside on base, but I think with strength training, that fits in. Like it is, traditionally you would start with lower intensity strength training in that the weights are, are lighter and the rep range is higher. So say eight to 15 would be a, a large range that you could maybe use. Um, and maybe even higher depending on what you're doing. Like it could be even higher if you wanted. Um, but it's going to take a while. So I think the weights definitely fit. You're just, you're not going right into quote unquote max strength, right? Like low reps, high, like max lifts. Um, that would traditionally come maybe like a base three or, or even later potentially after you've conditioned yourself, right? Like usually you have to build up, uh, with your strength training. Yeah. Like anything. So you're starting with these light weights and then hopefully progressing to heavier weights as you get addicted to a strength training and seeing that progress right mm -hmm. awesome and then let's round it out with one final question here and it kind of comes back to weights um, we have a master's athlete who's wondering um, if it's better to stack or brick days so she does running she lifts weights and she rides bikes um, and then take the next day as a rest day, or is it better to spread it out so she only has one rest day per week? So she'd actually prefer to have two rest days and maybe double up on workouts some days in order to have Mondays and Fridays off. Mm -hmm. But is it better for her to be spreading things out even more? She's training about like 10 to 12 hours a week. And I think this is actually one a lot of master's athletes would face, right? You know, it's you want a couple days off, but you also want to do a fair amount of training. Um, and, you know, you can argue even kind of coming back to that base thing that doing a higher volume some days might be better. But are you not getting enough recovery time? So lots of questions there. I mean, I think you could definitely do strength one day and bike one day and run the other day. That's certainly an option. You will limit the frequency of each sport is the problem. Um, so what you could do if you have the time and you're already conditioned to that, like again, in, in a similar fashion to the frequency, like if you're only riding your bike one day a week and then running one day a week and strength training one day a week, it depends what your goal is. Um, but you, you at some point have to increase the frequency. And if you're going to have all these different things, then you need to do double days at some point, right? Or a combined training at some point. Um, 
it, it's sort of tough to say the best solution because I don't know the goal or the experience. Um, what I would often do is, is think about days as the classic like high, low, off. Um, so in this case, the variation might be, again, if this was a more beginner person, what you might do is sort of like a high intensity bike workout that's short in the morning on the Tuesday. So Monday was off Tuesday, high intensity in the morning, strength training in the evening. Um, the order isn't, I don't think super important. And again, unless we're like really pushing the envelope on, on gains and you're already very experienced in principle, those should be spaced out by three to six hours or more. Um, but again, I, I would bias towards doing it versus not doing it and just making sure that you're well fueled for the strength training. That's the one thing I was going to say is the double days seem totally fine to me, but just making sure there's a good, you know, dose of protein after the first workout, if you're not going to have 24 hours to recover before the next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a, a mixed meal is fine for sure, but you definitely want protein in your body uh, and, and enough calories that you'll be able to push in the strength training and then like rebuild from the strength training. Um, and then the next day would be sort of a lower intensity. And so that could be, Maybe in this example for her, since she's running and biking would be, maybe that would be a run. Um, and that could even border potentially for a more advanced athlete that could border on even to like a moderate intensity. And that might be interesting to review the Frank Overton sweet spot um, podcast where he talks a bit about the sort of having like a, a harder day and then a moderate day and then maybe an endurance day. And that was sort of, I believe he called that like fatigue based training. Um, so we could do a run and that run's going to create a bit of fatigue and then you're going to just have to be ready that the Thursday, the third day is going to be a little, you're going to be tired, but you're going to do endurance. So it doesn't matter that much. And the bike usually isn't as susceptible. So that day you're just going to have to chill and ride your bike easy, then recover Friday. And then if you wanted to hit your bike again, that could be a harder day Saturday um maybe with strength again so maybe just repeat that and then maybe you go on a long run sunday recover monday and then so it'd be sort of in that example it'd be sort of like a high moderate low off high low off and then back through the week um, so that would be one solution um, and i guess the first solution we had was sort of just strength bike and run tuesday wednesday thursday so. Yeah, and then probably bike and run on the weekend. Yep. Yeah, and I think some of the the other classic advice was, you know, I sort of paired those out and sort of made the priorities what I thought. Um, but if you're trying to make gains in your first phase of the year in January and you need you want to get stronger, then you might put that strength training like always first thing on those high days when you're recovered. So that you can really push those weights. So if I was doing a max strength phase or a power phase in the gym, I'd maybe do that and then either maybe finish with a bit of biking after or later in the day even um, and then run. You could even do running. If running was your main thing, you could do it after too. But anyhow, you prioritize those double days was the sort of like old common belief was that you would prioritize whatever you want to make gains on first, right? You don't want to be tired for that thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Awesome. That's a good kind of blueprint for a solid week. I think we will wrap up there. But if you guys have any questions for us, um, feel free to ask us on social medias. Peter is at Peter Glassford on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Molly J. Herford. 
Um, you can also shoot us a message over on consummateathlete.com. That's also where the show notes will be. Um, you can find me on the outdooredit.com. Peter is smartathlete.ca if you're interested in coaching. And of course, just another reminder, Shred Girls Lindsay's Joyride is now available for pre-order. So if you have a young female cyclist or a young female who you want to get into biking in your life, um, pre-order for that. And you can get some sweet Shred Girls stickers if you just email me a receipt. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked on that. It comes out May 7th and that's, man, creeping up. So my New Year's resolution is to have a really good time planning some sweet launch parties and events. So that's that's all I've got for today. Peter, anything to add? Nope. Over and out. I look forward to talking to you all next week. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind the scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone and it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.